Welcome to the TBE Richmond Podcast. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On this feed, you'll hear sermons, teachings, music, conversations with guests, and so much more from us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks for learning and growing with us. Seder is all about questions. Questions are perhaps the Seder's defining feature. And the whole ceremony with its unusual rites and symbols appears to have been specifically designed to arouse questions, particularly from children. To all these questions, let me add one that I want us to consider this morning. What is conservative Judaism? The question has been on my mind lately. I was recently invited to join the Rabbinical Assembly Strategic Planning Committee a group of about 50 conservative rabbis and leaders of diverse backgrounds and perspectives from within our movement who are charged with developing an actionable vision for the near-term future of conservative Judaism. Our initial conversations made it clear to me that our task will neither be simple nor easy, in part, I think, because it will require us to articulate shared principles, to define who we are and what we stand for, as a movement. What defines conservative Judaism? What makes our movement unique? There have, of course, been numerous attempts throughout history to define conservative Judaism. One of our movement's founding fathers, Zacharias Frankel, said that our defining quality was our positive historical approach to Judaism, that we see our tradition as a historical phenomenon that evolves and improves over time. Later, leaders like Mordechai Waxman said that we believed in tradition and change. Indeed, many people have belonged to conservative congregations throughout history because in various ways and to varying degrees, conservative Judaism seeks to blend the traditional with the contemporary. None of these definitions are bad, but none have ever become, well, definitive. And as a result, conservative Judaism still has something of an identity crisis. On its surface, conservative Judaism's identity crisis would seem to have nothing to do with Passover. Yet, as it turns out, identity is a major theme of the holiday. Consider the four children, one of my favorite parts of the Seder. The Haggadah identifies four different types of children, a wise child, a wicked child, a simple child, and a child who does not know how to ask, each with a distinct question. The archetypes are rooted in ancient Midrash. On several separate occasions, the Torah predicts that when Jewish adults observe Passover's peculiar rituals and practices, their children will invariably ask what it all means. The ancient rabbis interpreted this apparent repetition to mean that the Torah was actually talking about four different types of children, each naturally asking a distinct type of question about Passover, and each requiring a response consistent with the child's disposition and capability. To the wise child, a wise answer. To the wicked child, a wicked answer. To the simple child, a simple answer. And to the one who doesn't know how to ask, a basic answer. 
It's interesting to note that the Torah itself does not describe any of the children or their questions as particularly wise, wicked, simple, or elementary. The children and their questions just are. It's only later that the rabbis characterize and categorize them. And in so doing, they even sometimes change the answers provided by the Torah itself, or else proffer altogether different answers to the questions the Torah predicts. So for example, in today's Torah portion, the special reading for the first day of Pesach, we read, And when your children ask you, what is this ritual to you? You will say, You shall say it is the Passover sacrifice to the infinite who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when smiting the Egyptians, but saved our houses. If you're familiar with the Haggadah, you probably notice that this is the question the rabbis ascribe to the Rasha, the the so-called wicked child. However, you may have also noticed that this is not the way the Haggadah instructs the parent to answer the Rasha. Instead, the rabbis emphasize the fact that the child says to you. The rabbis infer from this that the child sees their relationship to the holiday as distinct from their parents. Therefore, according to the rabbis, the child has effectively placed themselves outside the tradition as a whole, as well as the family and the community that cherish it. The parent is thus instructed to respond, It is because of what the infinite did for me when I went free from Egypt. In other words, God liberated me but not you, since you have excluded yourself from the community. One who places themselves outside the community cannot be included in the community's redemption. It's a sensitive interpretation of the question in Exodus chapter 12, verse 26, and a meaningful lesson to teach. But above all, it must be noted that the rabbis are making a deliberate choice to read the text this way since they substitute the answer that the Torah itself provides in verse 29 with one from an altogether different passage, Exodus chapter 13, verse 8. The only other child who is given an answer that is different from the one provided by the Torah is the Chacham, or wise child. The Chacham asks, Maha edut, What are the decrees, laws, and rules that the infinite our God has commanded us? That's a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 20. But the Haggadah instructs the parent to respond with a very different answer than is prescribed in the biblical passage. The subsequent verses in Deuteronomy read, you shall say to your child, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt and the infinite freed us from Egypt with a mighty hand. God freed us from there in order to take us and give us the land promised to our ancestors. And the infinite commanded us to observe all these laws, to revere the infinite, our God, for our lasting good and for our survival, as is now the case. The Haggadah, on the other hand, 
says to answer the wise child, we do not conclude the Passover Seder with the Afikomen, which is a teaching from the Mishnah, a text written approximately 1,500 years after the Torah. Why does the Haggadah provide this rabbinic answer to the wise child's question when the Torah itself already gives a perfectly good response? The answer, I think, is because the wise child isn't wise, and the wicked child isn't wicked. Let's start with the wise child. In Hebrew, he's called Chacham. True, the Hebrew word for Chacham does literally mean wise. But for the ancient rabbis, Chacham is a technical term, synonymous with the title rabbi. For the ancient rabbis, the term Chacham denoted someone who was considered to be part of the rabbinic community, and indeed someone who was qualified to be one of its leaders. A Chacham was not a generic wise person, but a sage. So the Chacham of the Haggadah is not wise in the sense of possessing wisdom. Rather, he's a Chacham, a rabbinic sage. It's only from this perspective that the Haggadah's response to the Chacham's question makes sense. His question about the laws of Passover is characteristically rabbinic. And since his question emerges from within the rabbinic tradition, it makes sense for the rabbis to answer him not from the Torah, but from the Mishnah, from within the rabbinic tradition. Neither the Chacham nor his question are wise in any conventional sense. So instead, I think it would be more accurate to call him the insider. If the Chacham is better understood as the insider, then it stands to reason that the Rasha, whom the Haggadah implies is the Chacham's opposite, would have to be the outsider. And indeed, from the Haggadah's perspective, the Rasha does seem to stand at a remove from Jewish tradition, interrogating it as an outsider, looking in with a critical eye and a challenging posture. The Rasha is therefore not wicked in the sense of being morally evil, but rather someone who rejects the religious philosophy and maybe even the authority of the rabbis and positions themselves in opposition to the rabbinic community. Like the Chacham, Rasha here is not used as an adjective, but rather as a noun. He's not a bad guy. He's just not a rabbi. He's a rebel. It's of course tempting to assume that the Haggadah is holding up the Chacham as a model and the Rasha as a cautionary tale. But I actually think it's making a much more subtle point. The Haggadah's problem with the outsider is obvious. He seeks truth, but embraces nothing. As a result, the Haggadah instructs the parent to give the outsider an intellectually interesting, but emotionally hostile answer. The meaning of Passover is that God liberated me, but not you, since you have excluded yourself from the community. However, I also think the Haggadah has a problem with the insider, though you have to read a little bit between the lines to see it. 
the Haggadah's answer to the insider is technically correct and nurtures communal belonging, but it also utterly misses the point of the holiday. I have to believe that was intentional. I can't imagine the ancient rabbis actually believed that the correct answer to a question about the meaning of Passover is that the afikomen isn't the last step of the Seder. So perhaps the Haggadah is forcing a comparison between the Chacham and the Rasha, not to vindicate the former and vilify the latter, but rather to suggest that they are mirror images of one another. The insider, situated deep inside the tradition, is uncritical, but also incurious. They seem unconcerned with why, and instead focus on what and how. The outsider wants to know why, but is unconcerned with what and how. As a result, the outsider might get to the heart of the matter, but because they aren't invested, getting to the heart of it doesn't matter. The insider, on the other hand, is so deep inside the system that they're unable to interrogate it. Sure, they are invested, but the investment ends up being quite literally meaningless. The Haggadah draws our attention to the Chacham and the Rasha, two apparent extremes. At first glance, it would seem that the Haggadah is saying one is good and the other is bad. One is right and the other is wrong. We ought to celebrate and emulate the former and deride the latter. But upon closer inspection, I think the Haggadah is making a much more subtle point. Both extremes on their own are problematic. When we approach everything as outsiders, we risk not actually standing for anything. But unexamined orthodoxies are also toxic. Conformity at the expense of reason is dangerous. Ideally, we can find a way of being in the world that enables us to stand for something without falling for everything, to accept and doubt all at once, to interrogate while remaining faithful to the very thing we are interrogating. It strikes me that this is conservative Judaism's defining quality. Ours is an approach to Jewish tradition, a Jewish way of encountering the world that seeks to find balance between extremes, unapologetically embracing Jewish tradition while also unapologetically interrogating and challenging it. Conservative Judaism encourages us to embody both the wise child and the wicked child simultaneously, to be at once outsiders and insiders. We benefit from being rooted in Jewish wisdom, practice, and community, and also from holding our tradition up to the light of reason. This approach is complex, but so is our world. It resists simple answers and easy explanations, yet so does life. Those who position themselves only as outsiders, who challenge the tradition without being wholeheartedly committed to it, 
are beyond the pale. But so too are those who position themselves only as insiders, those whose loyalty to the tradition closes their minds and hardens their hearts. Those parameters, it seems to me, are broad enough to include the diversity of belief and thought, the commitment to intellectual pluralism that has always been one of the hallmarks of conservative Judaism, while also being sufficiently narrow to exclude approaches that we have always regarded as out of bounds. This, to my mind, is the only standard that matters the one to which I consider myself bound as both a proud conservative rabbi and as a proud conservative Jew, to relate to our traditions simultaneously as both an outsider and an insider. Is this wise or wicked? Maybe it's a little of both, but maybe, ultimately, that's precisely what the Haggadah is telling us that redemption is possible if we embrace a way of being that unites head and heart, mind and soul, one that seeks to harmonize the wise and wicked children within each of us. Shabbat Shalom, Chag Sameach. This has been the TBE Richmond Podcast. Once again, I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On behalf of all of us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia, thanks for listening. I hope this episode was uplifting and enriching. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. And please rate and review us so others will have an easier time joining the conversation. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Learn more about our dynamic, warm, and passionate congregation affiliated with the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism at www.bethelrichmond.org. Until next time, shalom y'all.